let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We are looking uh, for a couple weeks at a series of individuals whom have been visited in some sense by the Lord. Um, Now, uh, some get the uh, real wallop and others get a real, uh, just a a kind of uh, uh, a secondary visit, we'll, we'll say. Like a secondary visit might mean, uh, I'm wondering what I should do with my life. And someone comes up to me and says, Randy, have you considered, what, plastics or something like that? Isn't that the the graduate? Isn't that what he he is encouraged? Now, I did not receive a direct visit from the Lord to go into ministry. But it was one of those things that that I I, I sensed and was confirmed and uh, was at, at peace with. Now, I have other friends who tell me that uh, they were visited in some fashion, um, not with quite the bolt of lightning, but with some sort of godly wallop. That's a deep theological term that we use. Godly wallop that said, this is where you need to be. Now, maybe some of you have experienced some, something like that in your life. Here you are wrestling with what you should do. Um, Lord, why don't you come and tell me? And all of a sudden, out of the blue, somebody comes to you and says, have you ever considered the plastics okay, or, or whatever? Uh, I have a friend who, and I've, I've told you about him before, was in his final week of finals in law school. And he says the Lord came to him one night in his dorm room and said, go to seminary. The next morning he got up and told the dean he was withdrawing from school and going to seminary. And the dean said, oh, you're one, all you have to do is finish these finals and and you're graduating. He said, I have to go now. Okay. That was uh, 30 years ago or so. He's still in ministry. I asked him, I said, uh, why didn't you, you know, take the finals and just, just, you know, you're, you're so close. He said, do you remember Hebrew? And I said, oh yeah. He said, would you have left seminary and gone into law practice in the middle of Hebrew if you had the chance? And I said, well, yeah, I would have. <laughs> he said, there you go. Uh, the Lord wanted me in ministry, and there you have it. Well, we're looking at people whom the Lord comes and visits in some fashion, and their lives are never the same. Their lives are never the same. So here we have in First Samuel, if you're able, would you stand with me, and we'll read about a woman named Hannah. Heavenly Father, come upon us today with your Holy Spirit that our eyes would be open to this wonderful passage, this, this passage of, of a woman who cries out to you and you come to her, a woman whose desire is only to be faithful to you in the midst of struggle, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of all these things. Open our eyes to this that we might understand it, and Lord, that we might live it as well. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Now, our, our, we, we actually, uh, our, uh, I will, will not read chapter 2. I'll leave that to you to do on your own at another time. Uh, much of chapter 2 encompasses Hannah's prayer. Okay, so um, um, we'll leave that to you another time. We'll just, I'll just read the first chapter of Samuel. Now, there was a certain man from Rabbathim Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, son of Jeraham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. 
And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Hannah is mentioned first, so we we pretty much assume that is the first wife. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Now, you, I'm sorry to interrupt again, but it, you notice it doesn't say Jerusalem. This is prior to that. So this is Shiloh is the place where worship was being carried on at this time. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. Sorry again. Hophni and Phinehas, they were just, uh, gee, how could we even describe them? They were no good for nothing. Okay? No, they were, they were good for nothing. They were just bad people, but yet they were the priests. Eli really didn't care about his uh, taking care of them and teaching them and raising them, and they kind of ran amok. Okay? Verse 4. And when the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And it happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her, so she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep, and why do you not eat, and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, And she, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on my affliction, look on the affliction of thy maidservant and remember me and not forget thy maidservant, but will give thy maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Now it came about, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Now, this might be more of a projection of Eli's state than of Hannah, certainly. Then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. Now, what does Eli say? He, I, part of me thinks Eli just wants her out of his hair. Okay? And the other part of me says the Lord has used Eli to communicate his word to Hannah. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came about in due time, after Hannah had conceived, that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. Then the man, Elkanah, went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. 
Remain until you have weaned him, only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with the three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is dedicated to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. This is God's inspired word for us today. Please be seated. Now, just as an aside, think for a moment. You're Eli. Your sons are grown. You're a priest. Um, Remember, Eli dies in a bad way later, as do Phineas and, and, and Hophni. Uh, but he, his, his, as I recall, he's, he, he falls over backwards and chokes on something because of his big weight. Okay? Now, we're going to address this in a moment, but think, is this the kind of guy you want to leave your three- or four-year-old with? Uh, I mean, yes, the Lord has provided for you, but you're going to come up and here's Eli. Do you remember me? I was the woman who prayed. Odds are he's one, uh, yeah, I remember you. Uh, he doesn't remember. And here, here's my son. Take care of him. I mean, what? Part of me thinks this woman is crazy. I mean, who does this kind of thing? But the other is, as we will see, she is a woman whose heart was right before the Lord. All she wanted was what the Lord had for her. She didn't want anything else, but she, she did cry. She had nothing to bargain with. She comes to the Lord and says, give me a son and I'll give him to you. Give me a son and I'll give him to you. That just is so foreign in our society. Now, there's somewhere between 6 and 11% of women in the United States have issues of fertility. Uh, some are easily diagnosed and, and treated medically. Some are never treated. Some women just cannot have children. There are approximately 18,000 adoptions of infants in this country, 86, 9,600 adoptions from foreign countries into this uh, country. Uh, there are women who act as surrogates. Judy and I have a friend who's been a surrogate twice, and I believe it was the first time that she was a surrogate. Um, the, the wife conceived while she was the surrogate. So they had two children who were basically the same age um, and were not twins. Okay? Now, um, I've seen that before where people try and try and try and then all of a sudden they adopt and in the midst of the adoption, the wife becomes pregnant. Okay? Um, well, not having a child can be traumatic, especially when you want one. It's not quite the same as in this culture as it was in the culture when the book of Samuel was written. Okay? It was very, um, it, it carried, not having a child, particularly for the wife, was very traumatic. It involved shame. Uh, it involved uh, just a weight of guilt because there was some issue here, and it was your job to produce a child. I mean, forget about the husband. It was the wife's job to produce a child. And if there wasn't, often they thought that there was some issue of sin involved. But as we see, it says several times here in the first couple verses of 1 Samuel, the Lord had closed her womb. 
in particular, the Lord had closed her womb. Um, He closed her womb until the proper time when his glory might be displayed in her. Okay, this is a very purposeful barrenness, if if you want to call it that way. And she's in a particular uh, club in Scripture of women who were like this, who either their their wombs were closed until they were long past bearing a child, or uh, for years and years and years they could not bear a child. We think of Sarah, and the Lord comes and says, yes, Abraham, you and your wife Sarah will have a child, and Sarah's back in the corner going, doesn't he know how old I am? Um, And the Lord knew exactly how old Sarah was, that it was impossible for her to conceive in a human way. So the Lord intervened. So we have Sarah, we have um, oh, uh, uh, Rebecca, whose, whose womb was closed for years and years. We have uh, Samson's mother, uh, Manoah's wife, whose womb was closed for years and years. We have Elizabeth in the New Testament, who was past that age as well. Um, and the reason is very clear, same reason that the man in John chapter 9 was born blind, so that the works and the glory of the Lord might be manifest in their lives. You reach that point where you go, I, I just, it, okay, it's not going to happen. Whatever you might be thinking about in your life, you just reach that point and say, okay, well, uh, obviously that's not going to happen. And that's the point that each of these individuals, and, and Hannah in particular, I, I know she was still within that age, but it had been so long. And that is really what she wanted more than anything else. I mean, he can work within us, our despair, our hopelessness, Maybe it's a time of preparation for his blessing. That's pretty much what we see in Hannah's life. All these years of, of wanting and going up to Shiloh and praying and, and, and being abused by Peninnah uh, again and again, and, and, and yet her heart is still right before the Lord. It still cries out for him. It still goes to him for answers. Okay. Paul understood this. Paul understood... You have to rely upon the Lord. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Okay. Well, this just runs counter to everything that we understand as, as, as Americans, right? Be weak. You can't have that. I mean, in the Greek culture that the New Testament was written in out of that language, there's no word for humility. There's no word for humility. I mean, that was a a terrible thought. Be humble? No. You want to be proud. You want to be forceful. This is what you are. But yet Paul says, and remember, Paul had it all. He was bright. He did everything he was supposed to do religiously. He kept the law. And he says, not until I am weak can I possibly be made strong. He goes on to say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Well, Hannah is brokenhearted, but she's never without a heart that is sensitive to the things of the Lord. And we find people like this, people who, who, who are in the midst of disease or constant tragedy or whatever it is, but yet their heart seems to be even more sensitive to the things of the Lord. Perhaps you look back on something that has happened to you and you think, yeah, when I was in the midst of it, I I didn't like it, but I wouldn't trade it for anything now because of what it did to me. 
what it did for me, how it confirmed the things of the Lord, how it shaped and molded me. Hannah wants a baby. She wants a son in particular. And Hannah has really no idea of what the Lord has in store for her. No grasp of the fact that the Lord is working out his plan in her life in the midst of her barrenness. The Lord doesn't tell her this. You know, it would be so simple if the Lord said to us now, uh, Randy, uh, I, I know you want this. I know this is the great desire of your heart. I, I know it's, it's right and everything, but you're not going to get it for a while. If he told me that, I, I would be good with that instead of wondering if I'm ever going to get it. Okay, and here we have Hannah who's crying out and crying out. She doesn't know that her barrenness is particular to the Lord, that he has placed it upon her, that one day all these things will work out in in great blessing for her. She is presently in the midst of waiting and waiting and waiting. But she waits on the Lord, and she is patient. We don't know his plan. We don't know exactly what is coming down the pipe, but he says, wait on me. Yes, you have to be weak. But in that weakness, these are the outcome. Now, when it comes down to it, let's admit it, at least I will admit it, I would rather have the blessing that I want than the blessing that the Lord has. Just think about that for a moment. My humanness, because when I think of a blessing for Randy, a blessing for Randy is what? Give me one word. It, it's what? It's, it, what did you say, chocolate? <laughs> a blessing is good. Man, it's pleasant, right? Uh, a blessing is joyous. That's what we associate with it. But God is the definer of good, isn't he? I mean, things that God defines as good are really and truly good. Are they good according to my definition as a human? A blessing from the Lord might end up being a struggle for me. A blessing from the Lord might be a hardship or a trial for me. And I would much rather have the pleasant thing, the joyous thing, than the hardship or trial. But as I said earlier, sometimes we can look back at those trials and hardships and go, I would not trade them for anything because they were the blessing of the Lord. I didn't like them. I didn't want them. But now I understand them. Well, Hannah's going through all of this okay so not only does she have uh, no son not only is she barren but she has to put up with Penina okay who is the second wife of Elkanah who's uh, oh she's just no good uh, as a second wife now the, understand here you have a Penina and her children and she's got sons and daughters we don't know how many but but there's multiple there and you can just see the setting you're sitting around the house one night and one of the kids comes up and sits in Penina's lap and goes mommy why doesn't aunt Hannah have any children and Penina goes well apparently sweetheart the Lord has cursed her and blessed me because look at all the children I have and she doesn't have any Okay, this is the type of thing that goes on in this household. I don't know what Elkanah's doing, why, why he can't run his household here. Maybe it's the problem of having two wives. That's the issue, okay? Um, 
so, so we have this, so it appears that, that Hannah is really, she's coming down to, to bottom here. She's hitting bottom. And Elkanah is her helper in this aspect, okay? He is the one who is supposed to be encouraging her, and he does. I mean, apparently he is a man of means and a godly man. He gives Hannah a double portion, and it demonstrates his love for her, but he is a guy. Look at verse 8 or 7. And it happened year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. That's Penina. So she would weep bitterly and she would not eat. So she's crying and she's not eating. These are some of the classic evidences maybe of depression. And then along comes Elkanah who, who really loves her and cares for her but is a guy and says to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart so sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? It's not real sensitive here, okay? But, you know, he's a guy. That's the way we are, okay? He's not, he's not there concerned about it. He's being concerned in the way that he knows how. And he's trying to encourage her. Look at all that I provide for you. Look, I, I care for you. I'm better than sons. No, not in that culture, not in Hannah's mind. She wants a son. And just a quick excursion. When we talk about Elkanah, maybe the problem is he's got two wives. I mean, how could he be godly and have two wives? Well, in, in, the Lord never says it's okay. He, it happens in the Old Testament where they have more than one wife. Uh, and we see uh, a lot of people, Abraham, although he had two women, not two wives. Jacob, Solomon had uh, oodles and oodles. Um, God seems to have permitted it, and Paul references it and says it's out of the hardness of the hearts. Okay, It was never really a good thing. It was a good thing that Adam and Eve were together as man and wife. It wasn't good that there was a man and more than one wife. Okay, He never pronounced polygamy good, and it was a cause of a lot of grief. It doesn't take much imagination to figure that out. Okay, So in the first... In verse 10, go to verse 10 here. And she is greatly distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She cries out to the Lord in verse 11, O Lord of hosts. Okay, Now that's a great phrase, but it means so much more. It means, it, in Hebrew it means omnipotent deliverer. O Lord of hosts, O omnipotent deliverer. Remember, omnipotence is all power. You are all-powerful, and you are the deliverer of your people. Hannah knows who to turn to. Acknowledges that the Lord is the giver of life, that she is subject to his will. She uses the word servant several times throughout this. She knows that she is his to do with as he pleases. And she comes to him in the middle of verse 11 and says... um, Give thy maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. I, I thought of Romans 12. Offer your bodies as a, as a living sacrifice. Okay. Yes, Lord, give me a son, and he is yours. And this is, and makes him a Nazarite here. The, the reference here to a razor shall never touch his head is one of the three things that you you, vows you took when you became a Nazarite or took a Nazarite vow. Sometimes it was for life. Sometimes it was for a period of time. Uh, other Nazarites, Samuel, um, John the Baptist, 
Samson as an example. And, and remember, you couldn't touch, uh, you didn't cut your hair, um, uh, couldn't drink wine, and couldn't touch dead things. So Samuel, or Samson did all three bad. Uh, but yet he returned to the Lord and the Lord uh, used him. So she says, Lord, give me a son. Now, give me a son and I'll give him back to you. She doesn't say, give me a son and I'll give him back to you with the hope that you'll bless me with more sons. She doesn't say that. We don't see that anywhere. She wants a son. And she's going to do everything that she can to make sure that son grows into a godly man. And even before he is conceived, he is going to devote him in a Nazarite vow to the Lord for his entire life. Lord, look on my affliction. Remember me. Don't forget your servant. I mean, Lord, you're the kind of God who remembers our cries, who remembers the heartaches of your people. You are the kind of God who is, yes, omnipotent deliverer who hears our every cry, who hears our every prayer and knows the desires of our hearts. Now, have you ever been there? Nothing to bargain with. He can't come and say, Lord, I'll do this if you do that. I mean, she does say, I'll give him to you, but she doesn't ask for more. Jesus says, Lord, I have nothing. I'm not producing a child. All I want is a son. Will you do this for me, Lord? Will you give me a son? And I'll give him to you. I don't don't think there's another prayer in the Bible quite like it. This prayer comes out of a heart that is entirely given over to the purposes of God. Entirely given over to the purposes of God. Man, you read stuff like this and you think, well, how do we pray? I mean, are are the prayers of our hearts entirely given over to the purposes of God? Or am I seeking a blessing from the Lord that I define as a blessing? Or do I simply want the Lord's will in my life? There's no bargaining that after she gives him a son that the Lord will provide more for her that's not there. You might understand if she poured her heart out in the same way that some of the psalms are written. We call them imprecatory psalms. We haven't gotten to one yet. But an imprecatory psalm is David saying, Lord, my enemies are coming after me. Strike them dead. Okay? And I will praise you for this. Okay? Why do people afflict me? Why are there, is there pressure all around me? Lord, deliver me and kill my enemies. She does not say anything negative about Penina, about her in any way. All she wants is the Lord to visit her with the son. That's all she is after. Now, uh, go to uh, verse 17. Go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked him. As I said, we don't know if this was Eli just trying to get her out of his hair or whether this was the Lord speaking through him. But whatever it is for sure, I mean, sometimes you, you just say things and, and they, they are true. Well, Eli is the voice of the Lord. The Lord is visiting Hannah through his words. Whether he meant to that to happen or not, this is what is happening because 
What happens here? So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She was, if we had a you know, clinical diagnosis, she was depressed. She wasn't eating. She was crying. Uh, and there she was. And here we have a complete change. A complete change in her life and in her, her manner, in her disposition, in her countenance. Something has happened here. Now, maybe this has happened to you. I mean, I can remember specific times in my life where I was weighed down with things, and it was as if the Lord came and said, here, Ray, let me take those from you. Okay? And, and suddenly, it's almost as if a burden has been taken off my back, and I can stand up straighter, and my countenance, my whole, my whole disposition is different because there is this confidence that the Lord has heard me, and he's taken it from me. Okay? Then there are other times where I hang on to it. I, take, I say, Lord, can't you take this from me? But I really don't want to let it go. Okay? But when he takes it, there is this complete change. And this is what happens to Hannah here. Suddenly there is a confidence that something is going to happen. Okay? Her heart is renewed. We jump now to four years later, about. Okay? The little boy is weaned. And she goes to Shiloh to fulfill her vow. Samuel, the name, means he who was asked for. He who was asked for. Now, how can a mother drop her four-year-old little boy off with the likes of Eli? This is not a fairy tale where, you know, you go out in the woods and here are three fairy godmothers that you're going to leave your daughter with until she's 18 to keep her from the the spinning wheel or whatever, okay? And they're going to raise her. This is a little boy being dropped off at the temple with a drunk and his two sons who are a drunk. It either tells us of Hannah's bad character judgment or of her faith in the Lord. Because she has made this vow, the Lord has provided for her and she is going to carry it out. Now, probably some of us wouldn't, wouldn't have blamed her if she got to the presence of Eli and went, I'm not leaving him with you. This is my little boy. This is the one I prayed for, the one the Lord gave me. And Lord, I know I took this vow, but I thought you were going to put somebody else in Eli's place, somebody I could trust. And it's not Eli that she's putting her trust in. It's whom? It's the Lord. He gave her Samuel. And as we can see in the coming pages, there is so much the Lord has planned for Samuel. Samuel will be the Lord's the rest of his life. Now, it was a vow that she took. And our vows are somewhat looser today. We like to think that our word is our bond, but we see in so much in culture that, well, yes, I said that, but I meant this. Or, or let me, uh, you know, a politician comes out, and I'm sorry to pick on politicians, but politicians come out and he says something, and then his handlers come out and give you the real meaning of what he said, Right? He didn't really mean that. He meant to say this, or, or this is what that plain statement he said meant. And we go, I wonder how they got this out of that. And, uh, well, Hannah made a vow, and it's, it's black and white. I mean, Scripture says, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. There's no in between there. Are you coming at 11 o'clock? Yes. And that's it. Now was not the time to suddenly think that she knew better than the Lord. Now was not the time to think that, well, maybe, maybe the Lord's going to let me out of this vow. No. 
And Hannah is not, she's not a great theologian here. She's not some Calvin or Edwards, or she's not one of the patriarchs or anything. She's just a woman who wanted a son, and the Lord came and provided that son for her. So what do you do when the Lord keeps his end of the bargain? You keep yours. She saw her life as under control of God, every aspect of it. Family, marriage, children. Paul is in prison in, in, as he writes Philippians. And he's expecting his death. And you remember he urges the brothers and sisters to be filled with joy and thanksgiving. Because in his trial, the gospel is moving forward. He understood that his trial was causing the things of Christ to be uplifted and spread, even to Caesar's household. He learned to view his difficulties, view his trials in the bigger picture. Hannah says, you know, I'm paraphrasing, he says, Lord, I'm just a woman, but I'm a woman whose heart's devoted to you. Will you not provide me this? And if you do, he belongs to you. Hannah is not rejoicing in this trial. Okay? She's rejoicing because she understands that in the midst of her trial, she's an instrument of the Lord. So where are you? Are you in the midst of a trial? Are you in the midst of something pressing upon you? And you wonder, Lord, have you even forgotten about me? Do you even care about me? Do you know that I'm struggling in all these things? Do you know my family's struggling too? Are you paying attention at all to me? Yeah, of course he is. Remember, he is omniscient. He is omnipresent. So there's nothing that's going on in your life he doesn't know. Why? Because he's there in every aspect of your life. So maybe the question we have to ask is, Lord, teach me to see how this is part of the outworking of your plan. That your blessing may not be what I would want, but you are the definer of good. You are the definer of what a blessing is. Lord, help me to see this, that I might rejoice, that I might take comfort in it. That I might know that you are sovereign in all things. So let's pray. Lord, here we have Hannah. And we don't use this in a, in a derogatory sense at all, but she's just a woman who wants a child. She doesn't understand that the child that you will ultimately give her is going to be your prophet, the anointer of kings, the communicator of your word to an entire people. She doesn't understand that. She knows her present circumstances. She does not have a child, and that's what the longing of her heart is. And you come and visit her, and her life is forever changed. We we see that she goes on to have other children. That wasn't part of her request. So her blessing was not only this barrenness for years. Her blessing was not just having to go back up to the temple and entrust her son to the likes of Eli. But it was all the things that you did. Providing her with other children and that Samuel would go on to impact an entire nation. Lord, we might not be Hannah's that you have this great plan for our offspring or something like that. But we want to have the same types of heart 
that Hannah did. Hearts that are devoted to the things of you. Even though we may not define them in the same way, blessings, but we want yours, no matter what they are, because we know that they are right and they are good. Ours might help us in a temporary fashion, our definition of a blessing. But we know yours are the true ones. So Lord, I pray for those today who are going through something, whatever it may be, trials, struggles, maybe it's going on for years and they're just crying out for you and they're, they, they're not eating and they're, and, they're, and they're weeping and they're laying themselves before you saying, Lord, what are you doing? Speak to them, Lord, today. Remind them that you are aware of everything that's going on in their lives. Give them a confidence, Lord, that they too may have a heart like Hannah that wants nothing more than your will and will understand those things as your blessings in their lives. Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.